You are now listening to the Charity Church Podcast. We pass from death to life. And if you're here today and you are not a follower of Jesus, maybe somebody drugged you this morning, not literally drugged you, but drugged you to church, brought you to church, um, you're here as a guest, we have good news for you. We have good news, and that is what we've been celebrating this morning. Um, but I do know this about good news. Good news always seems a little better when we hear bad news first, right? You ever have that conversation with somebody, they say, all right, listen, I've got good news and I've got bad news. And they said, do you want the good news first or do you want the bad news first? I don't know what you choose. I always want the bad news first. That way the good news kind of overcomes that and it kind of gives me uh, something to, to celebrate a little bit. At least it's good news after the bad news. And the same thing holds true with why we are celebrating to do today. The news of the resurrection is good news because there is some bad news. And many of you here today know why we celebrate Easter. You know why we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you think about the followers of Jesus, uh, on Friday we had a Good Friday service where we talked about the death of Jesus and all of those people who had been following him, his disciples, his mom, some of the other ladies, they had been following him and they believed that he was in fact the Messiah, the, the King of the Jews. But then they saw him die on the cross. And there was some bad news for them. And the bad news for us is this. We celebrate the resurrection because of the good news, but we know there's some bad news. And the bad news is that we are all going to die and spend eternity somewhere. When you die, that is not the end. When you die, and all of us are going to at some point, when you die, you will spend eternity somewhere. Where And what we're going to do this morning for just a few moments, we're going to look at the account of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the story of the resurrection as it was written by Dr. Luke. Now, if you don't know anything about Luke, Luke was a doctor. He was a very, very intelligent man. And when he wrote his story of the life of Jesus, excuse me, he started this story out telling us why he wrote it. And in Luke chapter one, verse one, he said, inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us. And so Luke starts out saying, there are many people who have been impacted by the life, by the death, and by the burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Many people have been impacted by that story. And so Luke comes along and he says, inasmuch as many people have tried, many people have written this story down, many people have captured this story in words. And so he says, I wanna do the same. And so he says, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses, which there were hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of eyewitnesses and ministers of the word had delivered them to us. He said, so many people have tried to give an account Many people have written these things down. There were many who were eyewitnesses to what took place on that Easter, that first Easter Sunday morning. And when Jesus ascended into heaven, and he said this, it seemed good to me also, having followed all these things closely for some time past. And I'll just tell you this, Luke was not an eyewitness to the life of Jesus. Luke was so intelligent. Luke was one of these guys who 
became a companion of Paul. We read about that in the book of Acts that Luke wrote also, but Luke became a companion of the book of, of, of Paul. And so he wanted to give an orderly account of the life of Jesus because it impacted Paul so much and it had impacted so many people that he had become associated with. And so he said, it seemed good for me after I've followed these things closely and I've listened to these stories, it seemed good for me to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. Now, some believe that Theophilus was a Roman, uh, a very influential Roman. And so what Luke was doing is he is saying, Theophilus has come to faith in Jesus Christ and he wanted to write down for Theophilus' sake an orderly account of the life of Jesus. So he starts writing this, this story, this narrative about the life of Jesus Christ. And um, he goes on and he says, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. He said, Theophilus, I know you've been taught some things and I know you've come to faith in Jesus. So I'm gonna write down this orderly account. I'm gonna capture this in this story so that you can have some certainty. I'm going to go and investigate people who were eyewitnesses to the life of Jesus, to the healings, to the miracles that Jesus performed. And I'm going to write down their stories and I'm gonna give this to you so that you can have some certainty about the things that you believe in. And for you and me, that's why we have this letter written by Luke. But you imagine what it must have felt like for those followers of Jesus who didn't have this orderly account already written. They were living in it, in the moment. They were there at the crucifixion or they had heard about the crucifixion. They had heard that Jesus had been in a tomb and on Saturday, nothing happened. He did not come alive, but on Sunday morning, something took place. And in Luke chapter 24, verse one is where we're gonna pick up the story. And here's how Luke wrote it for Theophilus, for us to benefit from. He says, but on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And he's talking about some women here. Do you know why they had prepared some spices? because they fully expected to find a dead body. They fully expected to go to the tomb and find a dead body that they were going to begin to prepare for a proper burial, something Jesus did not have time for or they didn't have time for because they took him down off the cross before the Passover began and he stayed in that tomb. And so the first opportunity they had was on this Sunday morning after Passover had ended and they could go in there and they fully expected to find a dead body. And the expectation was to find a dead body to prepare for a proper burial. And that's why they went, but you know what? That's not what they found. That's why Luke continues and he says this, he says, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. So when they got there, the stone had already been removed from the tomb, but when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And can you imagine Luke getting these words written down from these ladies or for whoever it is that he interviewed in order to get this story for us? He says, now tell me what happened. They were, they were like, we went in and we were, we were fully prepared. We had loaded up our baskets and we were going to the tomb. And our intentions were to anoint and to prepare the body of Jesus for a proper burial with spices and all the things that they use for a dead body. But when we got there, the stone was already rolled away. And when we walked in, there 
was no sign of Jesus anywhere except for the little shroud that they had wrapped him in. And they're telling this story. And here's the deal. Nobody expected no body. Everybody expected there to be a dead body in the tomb. But when they got there, their expectations were unmet because nobody expected there to be no body. And they went in there and they, they were perplexed, which I would be too, right? I mean, you'd be perplexed if you went fully expecting to find the body of Jesus, you were prepared to prepare the body of Jesus for a proper burial, and you go in, there's no body, you would be perplexed too. You would be beside yourself. This, this, this moment that they go in there, they're perplexed about this, and behold, there were two men who stood by them, and I love this word, they were in dazzling apparel. The first Easter outfit. That was it, right there. Dazzling apparel, glistening apparel, heavenly apparel. And so these ladies go there, and they were perplexed. And so they were perplexed because they had failed to remember what Jesus had been telling them all along. Jesus had been trying to prepare them for the death. He had been trying to prepare them for the burial. And he had been trying to tell them that there was going to be a resurrection from the dead. And I know for you and me, we can get perplexed in life. And when we get perplexed in life, we are usually perplexed when we forget the plan because Jesus from the beginning knew the plan. God had laid out a plan and his plan was for your redemption and for my redemption. And it included the death of the savior of the world, Jesus who is God come down in the flesh who is the only one who could die for your sins and my sins. And that was the plan from the beginning. And Jesus spent three and a half years unfolding that plan, telling these people about that plan, these followers of his. He wanted them to be prepared for this day. But yet, when there was nobody, they were perplexed because they failed to remember what the plan was from the beginning. And this idea of perplexed, it just means to be at a loss. It means to, to just really be uncertain. They were uncertain about what they had not found there. They were uncertain about this, this empty tomb. And I was thinking about this little verse, you know, about them being perplexed. And I was thinking about how life is for us. And oftentimes we get kind of taken back by life. We would say sometimes we are perplexed by what unfolds. And I know this, that the more you get unplugged from your faith, the more perplexing life becomes. The more uncertain life becomes. And when you do that over an extended period of time, we kind of lose our way. We kind of, we, we fail to understand and remember what God's plan and purposes are. And we get overcome by circumstances. We got to overcome by the circumstances of maybe death or some type of a loss or by financial struggles or, or wayward children or uh, damaged marriage or whatever it is. Just life can be so perplexing if we are not plugged into our faith the way we should be. And he says this, and as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? And what I know about you and what I know about me, when life becomes perplexing, we start looking for things that will give us life, to give us encouragement, to give us some peace, to give us some comfort. 
And there are many people who in the perplexity of life and, be, and just being perplexed by life, they're looking for living things among dead things. They're looking for things to give them life among things that are bringing only death. And so if you word it this way, it's why would you seek to find life in things that bring death, destruction, or depression? Why would you look for life in things that you already know bring death, destruction, and they bring depression? Sometimes those are they're unhealthy or ungodly relationships that you just keep pouring yourself into. And all it does is bring depression. It brings a sense of un, uh, just brings a sense of uh, destruction to your life, and you're you're still just pursuing those ungodly, unhealthy relationships that keep you perplexed. Why doesn't he love me the way he says he does? Why doesn't she treat me the way she says she will? Why do you keep going down that path? Why are you seeking life in a dead relationship? Addictions. People will look for life among things that bring death in, in all kinds of addictions, whether that be drug addictions, whether it be alcohol, whether it be pornography, whether it be uh, just pouring yourself into something else that's bringing an addictive type lifestyle, and you just keep pursuing that and keep pursuing that, forgetting about your faith because you're so far removed from that, so you keep pursuing this, this light and things that are only bringing you death, destruction, and depression. And the angel looks at these ladies and says, why are you looking for the living among the dead? Why are you looking for something that's gonna bring you, bring you life and it's only going to continue to bring you the same thing it's always brought you? It's bringing you death, depression, and ultimately destruction. And the angel goes on and says, he is not here. Listen, he has risen. He's not here any longer. He is risen. He is risen, as we said earlier. He is risen indeed. He's not here. He is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee. Remember when you are down there traveling with him when he was down around the Sea of Galilee in that part of the kingdom and he's, he's doing all of his miracles and he's telling the stories. Remember the things that he told you? There were many times, even Matthew chapter 17, when he was just telling them, listen, I'm going to die but I'm going to rise again. I'm going to die, but I'm going to rise again. And still he dies, they go looking for a, a dead body in the tomb. And they fail to remember. But then in this moment, when they said, when the angel said, he is not here, he is risen. And he says, remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee. And he told you this, that the son of man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men. And he's gonna be crucified. And on the third day, he will Rise, And these were the words that he gave them to remind them of the promises that Jesus had given. And for you and me, it's easy for us to forget certain things, right? Maybe there's some of you who are, who are back in church for the first time in a long time. It may have been last Easter. It may have been before the pandemic. And you're just kind of coming back in. And it's been a hard two years for you. And you have forgotten some things. You have forgotten why we celebrate so much around the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and you, just like me, need to remember certain things. There are some things that we remember. We need to remember why we turned to Jesus in the first place. Why did we turn to Jesus in the first place? We realized something about ourselves. Remember the peace that you had when you turned to Jesus? And there was, some time, there was that moment when you first came to Jesus and you realized how much peace 
that relationship brought to you, but life just started getting busy and the kids grew up and, and it was time to start the ball season and, and you just kind of left your faith alone and you stopped growing in your faith and, and life became perplexing. And you just need to remember the peace that you had when you first turned to Jesus. Maybe you need to remember that you have moved from death to life. That's what we've been celebrating is moving from death to life. And we're going to talk about that more in just a moment. But remember that the resurrection is your only hope. And when we realize that the resurrection is our only hope, it brings life to us. When I do funerals, listen, I love doing funerals of people that I know are believers because we know there's hope in that moment. There's hope that they are alive, more alive than they've ever been before. There's hope to be reunited for those who uh, have been saved as well and put their faith and trust in Jesus. So some of us just need to take a moment and take some time to remember. And that's exactly what they did. And they remembered his words. They took a moment and they had this moment of realization. And once they reflected upon the words of Jesus and what he had spoken, everything began to make sense. Everything began to fit into place. Suddenly they remembered, why would we have ever brought spices to the tomb? Why would we have ever expected to find no body? Or find a body because there was no body. And they remembered and returning from the tomb, they told all of these things to the 11, talking about the other disciples, the other followers of Jesus, and to all the rest who were gathered there. So they get this exuberant feeling, this, this emotional experience because they had found an empty tomb. They remembered the words of Jesus and that he had made good on his words. And so this news was so good that they ran and they shared it with the other men who had been walking with Jesus, even more so than these ladies were. And you know what? These men were perplexed. Now it was, it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things first to the apostles. But these words seemed to them, the apostles, an idle tale, and they did not believe them. And you know that there's always going to be resistance to the story of the gospel there's always going to be resistance to the story of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because if this story is true, and we believe that it is, but if this story is true, we must do something with that information. And so for years, people have been trying to dismiss this as an idle tale. And there are many theories that have been out there. Maybe you've heard of some of these. Some people believe that Jesus never really died. That when he was on the cross, he was almost dead. Kind of like Princess Bride been mostly dead all day. And he just kind of swooned and they just went ahead and buried him in a tomb. The problem with this theory is how could a swooning man who is almost dead remove a stone on his own and overpower some Roman guards and get away? Not possible. Then there's the hallucination theory that they believe that everybody who saw a resurrected Jesus all simply hallucinated the same thing at the same time. Do you realize that is scientifically impossible? A resurrection is too, but a hallucination is totally dismissed as even a possibility. Then there's the myth theory, where, and this one is still has some, some, uh, some popularity. People just believe that the disciples were liars and that they just created this myth to create a bunch of followers. The problem with that is that by the time some of the letters and the accounts of the resurrection were written, it was way too soon for a myth to be believed. 
They would have had to dismiss it immediately, but it wasn't dismissed immediately. Then there's the story of Christianity, which we believe, based upon Luke's account and Matthew's account and John's account and Mark's account and Paul's account and James, the half brother of Jesus, who didn't believe in the res- or didn't believe in Jesus that was a Messiah until after the resurrection. He comes along, becomes a leader in the early Jerusalem church. So we look at all these stories and we go, listen, there's got to be something to this resurrection. Josephus, one of the early historians who was not a follower of Jesus, gave an account, extra biblical evidence of a resurrection and the number of people that began following this new way after Jesus because of the resurrection. So if the resurrection takes place, you and I have to do something with the words that Jesus said. And all of these opposing theories have been dismissed except for Christianity. All the opposing theories have totally been dismissed by all educated scholars. If they're educated, they're dismissing these because they said there's no way. We've just got to figure out another way. And in verse 12, Luke goes on. He says, but Peter rose and he ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in, and he saw the linen cloth by themselves. This revelation that Peter had of the resurrection. And it says that Peter went home marveling at what had happened. And you know what he was marveling at? The resurrection. He was marveling at the resurrection because now the same man who had just denied Jesus two days earlier, just denied and following Jesus, now has reason to follow him with everything that he's got because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because Peter believed, maybe like you and me, that a man who can predict his own death, his own burial, and his own resurrection and pull it off, I think I'm just gonna follow him. And if you refuse to follow him, that makes you a denier of, in one of the most, uh, I don't even wanna use the the word stupid, but really you are. Um, If you don't follow Jesus, based upon all the evidence that's out there, a man who can predict his death, burial, and resurrection and actually pull it off, I think I'm just gonna go all in with whatever it is he says, whatever he says. And so if you jump ahead, this guy by the name of Paul, who was a persecutor of the church, who was a denier of Jesus Christ, had an interaction with Jesus on the road to Damascus, a revelation from the Lord, and Paul comes along and becomes a follower of Jesus, and he writes these words to churches, and specifically, he wrote this church letter to the church of Ephesus. He He says, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, God who is rich in mercy and because he loves you and because he loves me, even when we were dead in our trespasses, in our sin, even when we were full on living a sinful life, totally opposed to God, Even when we are dead in our trespasses and sin, he has made us alive together with Christ. He says, by grace, you have been saved. Not anything that you deserved, not anything that you've earned, it's only through the love of God and a loving God who would send his son to live a perfect, sinless life. He was God in the flesh, lived a perfect, sinless life, performed miracle after miracle after miracle, and was crucified. Even Herod and Pilate 
could not find any wrong in him, but yet they crucified him anyway. And the reason he was crucified is so that he could take upon your sin and my sin and pay a penalty that you and I should have paid, but a debt that we could have never paid. And Jesus paid a debt you owed on a cross that you deserved. And they took him down from the cross and they buried him in the tomb. And three days later, he did exactly what he said he would do. He rose again. He rose again and he now lives in heaven. And one of these days, he's going to return. And one of these days, maybe before that return takes place, you and I are going to die. And we are going to spend eternity somewhere, eternally with God in heaven or eternally separated from God in a place called hell. But that's why this is good news. You deserved hell, I've earned hell. But the good news is, is Jesus stepped in and said, I will take their punishment for them. And so today you can shift from death to life by believing on Jesus as your Lord and your savior. And I wanna give you that opportunity right now. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, and maybe today you've heard the story of the gospel. You've heard the story of the death, burial and resurrection and why that took place. And it's either a remembrance for you or maybe you've heard it for the first time, but you would just simply say, today I am ready to become a follower of Jesus. Any man who could predict his death, burial and resurrection and pull it off, I'm all in. And today you would just raise your hand and say, today I want to receive Jesus as my Lord and my savior. Anybody like that, you would just raise your hand. Say, today is a day you wanna become a follower of Jesus. Anybody? About the balcony. As Christians, we should never forget this story and never let our faith become too far away from us, but always reflect and remember the words of Jesus. Let's stand together as we close out. If you are here today and you just didn't raise your hand and you need to receive Jesus, you can meet Tom or myself down here in the front or we'll meet you back in the guest VIP room. Or if you're watching online, you can simply email us and we would love to follow up with you about this great story and the greatest decision you will ever make. God, we love you today and we pray, we pray that the story of the death, burial and resurrection would never, ever, ever get old. That God, if there is somebody here in our presence who needs to come to faith in you, it's my prayer today that they would do that. And it's in Christ's name we pray, amen.